So this is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. A more detailed account of Jesus' birth is given to us in Luke chapter 2. But what we have in Matthew 1 is an account of what happened mostly after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. An angel of the Lord had announced the coming of Jesus to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks in the fields close to Bethlehem. But the announcement of the arrival of Jesus wasn't just told to them and at that time. Jesus actually had been announced many, many, many years prior to this very time. Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. Matthew quoted Isaiah, discerning that this is what the prophet Isaiah actually wrote about. And it was coming about in that day, in that moment. And he said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Matthew was referencing Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Remember that this was written 700 years prior to Jesus being born. Micah was written even before that, about 35 years before Isaiah was, was written. And he prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. We also have before us in the second chapter of Matthew, quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The Old Testament describes the Messiah as both the conquering king and the suffering servant. The Jews tended to focus a little bit more on the priestly nature of the Messiah and, of course, the conquering king. The New Testament makes it very clear that the Jews were expecting Jesus to be that person, that one, the Messiah, that would deliver them from Roman rule. The messianic expectation that the apostles and a large number of common Jews had for Jesus was that he would be the conquering son of David. That's what they were expecting. Even as late as Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Now this is after Jesus' resurrection and just before his ascension. He had spent 40 days with his disciples. And even at this point... The apostles said this to Jesus before he ascended. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, come on guys, you, you still don't have it downright. I think that today, there are many people who, you've been hearing the word, you've been even studying the word. And sometimes we just don't have it straight. It's like we've spent time with the Lord, but we just don't fully comprehend it. We still don't have a good grasp on it. 
We may have been hearing the word kind of in passing every now and then at a wedding, uh, maybe on Christmas, on Easter, and different days. And we kind of know about, but we don't know Jesus truly as Lord and Savior. I think it's quite similar today as it was back then. It seems very clear from what we know that most of the people, the Jewish expectation for the Messiah was that he would come as the son of David, coming as the conquering Messiah, restoring the political ruling over, shifting it over to Israel. That's what they expected him to do. In fact, um, Jake had um, quoted Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and on to 7 it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But then, there's a chapter that comes a little bit later, Isaiah chapter 53, that and that we also get the picture of the Messiah in which he has to come first in this fashion, and then he will reign. But in Isaiah chapter 53, he is that sacrifice. He, he is the one who gave up his life for you and I that we could know eternal peace with our sins forgiven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Our wounds would be healed. Jesus is the suffering servant first. Before he rules govern- governmentally, he seeks to rule spiritually, giving us victory over sin and death. Jesus seeks to be king of our lives today. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In other words, what is it that you have that at some point would be worth exchanging for eternal life? And the answer to that is nothing. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Not one of us has. We can never accumulate enough, nor can we do enough good things to merit our way into heaven. So nothing, of course, the answer is nothing. There's nothing one has that can give, but it has been done through the blood of Jesus Christ. That satisfies the exchange necessary to gain eternal life in God's grace. In the world today, there are about 43 kings, queens, sultans, emperors, and emirs reigning as monarchs of, theirs, of their kingdoms. They normally follow in a familial line of power over a specific country or kingdom. Their power is preeminent and absolute. And it's for this reason that there are very few true monarchs left in the world with absolute power and absolute power and preeminent power. During the time of Jesus' birth, there was this king. His name was King Herod. 
also known as Herod the Great. He was a Roman-appointed ruler of Judea, and we just read about him at the very beginning of chapter 2. This man was ruthless, absolutely ruthless. He was known as being paranoid and cruel, even killing close associates due to jealousy and just pure rage. He would kill them. Augustus, the Roman emperor, said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Imagine that. It was this man that called for the chief priests and the scribes of the people and the wise men that came asking about this child that was born, this king of the Jews. And he called on them to come to find out exactly where the Christ was to be born and then to send these wise men to confirm the very things that he had been informed of. Coming back, you come back so I can go and worship him myself, is what he told the wise men. There was no doubt that to Herod, Jesus was a threat, for he had ruled well, that is Herod. And he was liked by all Rome. He was appointed, and we know that he was, he was very loyal to Rome. He was a popular king. And he did many things that really pleased Rome. And so the last thing that he wanted was an uprising within the people of Israel amongst the Jews and come against him and threaten his ruling. We're going to continue reading. And we're, we're going to back up to verse 1 and then continue reading through verse 11 of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For for from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, And search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, a star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We'll stop there. This day, what we need to understand in, in, the, in the world, in the entire world, Jesus is being recognized. It's a phenomenon. For the past 2,000 years, this has been going on. Acknowledged in many celebrating Christmas This day, this day that Jesus was born, it may have been turned very commercially to being a very commercial time, a very secular season. 
very worldly, but it is nonetheless the birth of Jesus that has caused the world basically to stop and take notice. And it was no different in Herod's day as it is today. He could have been very indifferent toward Jesus. He's no threat. He's a child in a manger. What is he to me? I don't even believe in that. But there was this direct threat that he felt upon his kingdom and his leadership. There are several ways that the world today handles Christmas. There are three ways. Three things that I kind of came up with and I believe are very much applicable to today. Number one, kill it. Number two, repackage it. Or number three, receive it. There are only three ways. Let's look at killing it. Some people, like Herod, see Jesus as a threat to their way of living. living. Uh, They seek to aggressively kill a Jesus that seeks to rule in any way, shape, or form. It's a very purposeful, very deliberate, very conscientious attack against Jesus in any attempt at ruling in their lives. In fact, in, in verse 16... This is what Herod's response was when the wise men did not come back and he learned that who this was and where he was. Uh, Joseph and his family, Mary and Jesus, had already taken flight to Egypt and this is what, he said, what happened in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, apparently they were very wise, right? Became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Would you say that was aggressive? Very much so, right? He made every attempt to kill Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was proclaimed as the King of the Jews. The world says it is tolerant of all forms of living. But it is sometimes even violently opposed to Christianity. That is biblical Christianity. And it is increasingly getting more aggressive toward biblical Christianity. Not so much the, the, one, the kind of places where people come together, sometimes in stadiums, in which their ears are tickled and there's a good motivational speech that is given. I'm not talking about those kinds of gatherings. I'm talking about the church that stands squarely on the truth of God's word. The ones who actually live out their Christianity. The ones who will confront those who teach falsely. I appreciate you. And I tell you, it's in the Word of God very clearly clearly that we are to stand in that manner. Those who aren't afraid, who are not ashamed of living truly for Jesus Christ, that's the biblical Christianity that the world is very much opposed of. Kill Christmas. Instead of Merry Christmas, some employers tell their employees that they have to say Happy Holidays in order to avoid offending anyone who does not believe in Christmas. This is why we're here today. This is why at the end of the year we're celebrating. Jesus was born in the shadow of the tree. 
He willfully went to the tree on our behalf. He had victory over sin there. We have these trees that we place in our homes and we, we put bulbs on there and all kinds of things to kind of just, we put light on, on them. And we do all these things, why? Because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. The exchanging of gifts, where did that come from? I can tell you that today, last minute shoppers will be down the, the street at uh, the Galleria. It'll be packed out. My brother will be there. Uh, and they will be buying gifts. What for? As Jake said, you know, earlier, we like to exchange gifts. Where'd that come from? It didn't come from a fat man in a red suit. It didn't come from that. This is the holiday season. And this is now our public schools. In our public schools, it's considered winter recess, not Christmas vacation. Got to be PC. No, it's Christmas vacation. That's what it is. It was in 1962 and in 1963 that we had landmark decisions that made prayer in our public schools illegal. They couldn't, they couldn't be led by teachers or school officials. I don't expect the world to act like the church. That's one of the things that I, I, I really don't. It'd be silly for me to expect the world to act like the church. I, I, I don't at all. Um, the Bible is very clear that friendship with the world is enmity with God, meaning that the world is against, is opposed to God. So that is, that is clear to me. We are supposed to evangelize the world. We're supposed to go out and testify of who Jesus Christ is. I just have a problem when Christians act like the world. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought not hide, but rather proclaim from the rooftops that we are His and He is ours. That we found the Savior and we are saved by His wonderful grace. That's actually what the shepherds did. They went back amazed that God had confirmed what the angel had told them. This is awesome. This is amazing. This is true. This is real. That's what we are to do. Herod says, kill it. The world says, kill it. And they are doing everything to do just that. But the Bible also says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That is the true church. It's not going to fall. It's not going to falter. We just need to beware of the ways in which the enemy tries to infiltrate the church and come against it. To that, we need to be wise. But Herod and the world... That's the Herods of the world. They're always going to try and come against the church and kill it. And if not kill it, well, then let's repackage it. That's the second way of taking a look at how it is that others can approach Christmas. Repackage it. Again, the world will make every attempt at killing the power of Jesus and his ruling in our hearts, the hearts of people, and that's to be expected. But the enemy doesn't stop there. The devil seeks to infiltrate the church with false sheep and false teachers who will repackage Jesus and make him to appear as something and someone that he is not to lessen his place in our lives. Like, you, don't be too much. Like, don't be fanatical. Like, I believe. No, read the word. 
Being a fanatical Christian is just being a normal Christian. Is just being sold out. That's who I am. I am identified in Christ and in no one and in nothing else. But the enemy attempts to lessen his place in our lives. How? Well, some say Jesus is not really the Savior, but he was a prophet. Others say Jesus was a, was a God, but not really God, capital G. Even saying that Jesus is, the, the, is Michael the archangel. Read the word yourself. That's untrue. That's unbiblical. Still others say that Jesus was the brother of Lucifer, a created being and the ruler of this planet, but not the creator of the universe and certainly not God Almighty. Well, if you think that truly all religions is just a matter of choice and it's okay, think twice. Because Jesus, when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those were the most loving words that he could ever say. And that's the gift that came on this one day a little over 2,000 years ago. And we're celebrating today. Now, those are obvious ones, but then there are those false teachers that focus on the experience, quote-unquote, and begin to blend in other false doctrines with the Bible. And what I encourage you to do is be a student of the, of the Word. Just read it. Just read it through. The Lord will give you understanding. 2 Timothy 2.15 encourages and commands us to be students of the Word. Tarot cards, anyone? I'm not joking. Tarot cards has actually come into a church and probably some churches just right up the street, Northern California, Bethel Church. According to Pulpit and Pen, it says, quote, called Destiny Reading Cards, Charismatics. Some associated with Bethel Church in Reading, California are engaged in what is essentially tarot card reading. They call it a reading and refer to the program as Crystallinement. They don't do predictions, quote-unquote, but they will help empower your destiny rather than control it. Using what is essentially tarot cards, they do a reading, quote-unquote, about relations, jobs, and issues to help people make better decisions in the future. The tarot is a pack of playing cards made originally in the 1400s in Italy and France, which are meant to help a psychic see divine truth either about the future or a present situation. Some assume the name is taken from the Tarot River in Italy. Explicitly, occultic tarots include a 78-card pack as opposed to all other kinds of tarot, which are implicitly occultic. The charismatics at Bethel Church and elsewhere have commandeered the satanic practice and seek to help gain insight into their life from these quote-unquote readings, close quote. So I just wanted to... I want to put it out. I mean, I want you to experience Christmas and know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, as he is told to us in the Bible. These readings, these things, these are all the things that are kind of repackaging Jesus. They're making him to be someone or something in our own image idolatry it's our own little god please listen to this human nature fallen nature will always seek to follow hero, heroes that are conquerors and offer great things personally right 
today, not one that suffers and dies. That's not the, the heroes and those that we place on pedestals. That, that's not what we want to hear. We don't want to follow a hero that suffers and dies. And definitely not one that says that we will experience tribulation in this world. But take heart is what Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, verse 33. Hey, listen, in this world you will, will experience tribulation. He says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Human nature will seek a cosmic bellhop that delivers blessings and solves all of our problems, even providing material and financial wealth, and the life that even forces him to do things for them by naming and claiming his promises, even though many times Scripture is taken out of context and used for personal beliefs and personal advancement. Even many of the Jews of the time were expecting Jesus to deliver them from Roman rule. That's what they were looking to Jesus to do. To deliver them from under Roman authority, Roman rule. The rule, basically, of the world. But Jesus came first to deliver them from something very important. To deliver them from eternal condemnation. Jesus came, as he said in Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. That's what he first came to do. That is the most important message that you could ever hear. To be delivered from the bondage of sin, from the condemnation of sin. That is the most important thing that you could ever listen to, hear in your life, and respond to. So number one, kill it. Number two, repackage it. Or number three, receive it. Again, verses 9 through 12, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, that is, the wise men, and behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What made the wise men so wise? It wasn't because the world had determined them to be wise. They were wise men because they believed and they worshipped the king. Not only did the wise men fall down and worship Jesus, but they also did not go back to the world and join in with the world's plan to kill Jesus. They, they knew. Hey, listen. Obviously, as they were told and warned in a dream, but you could kind of tell, hey, uh, come and tell me so that I too can go and worship this king of the Jews. Why, why would a Roman ruler go and worship the king of the Jews? It's very clear, unless the wise men were actually stupid, Right? But they weren't stupid. These wise men did not go back into the world. They did not join the world. In their whole schemes and their plan to kill Jesus. These men simply received Jesus for who he was. Emmanuel, God with us. It was the wise men who came with gifts fit for a king. The king. The king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No one in that household told them to get up. When they fell down on their faces and worshipped Jesus, 
as a child, even then, he was fully God and fully man. They didn't tell him to get up. They didn't tell him to get up, don't worship Jesus. Why? Because they all knew who he was. They were already told by Gabriel the archangel. We know that the shepherds had come prior to them getting there. And they told Mary and Joseph all that they had been told. All the people that were gathered there, they heard what the shepherds said, what the angel had told them. And they had great awe. And they they went away just amazed. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26... It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Again, just reminding you of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Christmas. The angel came, made it very clear to Mary. This is how it's going to happen. I've been, I have not been with a man. Well, this is how it's going to happen. You will conceive as a virgin. And you will deliver as a virgin. And Joseph did not touch her until after Jesus was born. Jesus came first as a suffering servant who came to die on the cross for our sins. This baby in a manger would be the one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one to go to the cross and die for all of us. Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Christmas is all about Jesus. Not necessarily about the baby Jesus, but about the the baby that grew into a man that fulfilled the Father's will perfectly and died on the cross for you and I. The Savior. And not just the Savior, but the King. Not just the King of the Jews, but the King of all of those who place their trust in in Jesus Christ. And I pray 
that you are not one who attempts to kill Christmas or repackage Christmas, but one who receives Christmas for what it offers, falling and worshiping Jesus as Lord and as Savior. That's what I pray for each and every one of us. Isaiah, again, chapter 9, verse 6, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Is Jesus your king? John 3.16, we all know it very well, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's only Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus came, and it is exclusive, salvation is exclusive. I, I could not tell you in any way, and if there was, I would tell you, but there is no other way to salvation. Jesus came, and it is exclusively through him that we can know a relationship with the Father, that we can know forgiveness. We can know that our sins were actually atoned for in full, completely paid for. It was a transaction that occurred at the cross. And he gave his life for us that we would have the ability to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. How? Simply by surrendering our lives to him. And by doing so, we gain eternal life. He gives us a whole new heart, a whole new life. What an exchange, what a gift. That's what's being offered to you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And I tell you that you will celebrate Christmas like no other time. The exchanging of gifts, it'll take, it's, it's a whole new meaning, meaning. A whole new meaning. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you have or you don't have. If you have much or you have little or nothing at all. Because you know that the gift that you have, you can give to other people. You can articulate very well. Hey, this is, this is what the Lord did for me. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's given me eternal life through belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That he died for my sins. That he rose from the grave three days later. later. By giving that gift to others, there's, there's nothing else that really comes close to that. Christmas just takes a whole new meaning. And I pray that you would come to that place where you would surrender your lives to Christ by asking Him for forgiveness and asking Him to be your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray for you in, in a few moments here as we close. Um, and that from this point, for those of you who have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be the beginning of basically a life of Worship and falling before him just as the wise men did on that day. Of giving him your everything. Because he's given you eternal life. He's worthy to be praised. And this is indeed a special day. The day in which we express our thankfulness for the gift that the Father sent for us to receive. Forgiveness 
by His grace, through His mercy and love, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we give you all the praise and all the honor. And I do pray right now that as we are making all the preparations necessary to celebrate Christmas, beginning with today and this evening, Lord Christmas Eve, and tomorrow Christmas Day, that we would get some things taken care of today. I pray for anyone here who has not surrendered their lives to you, that has not cried out to you to forgive them and ask Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this day would be the day of salvation, that they would do so. I know, Lord, that as I asked for your forgiveness years ago, you responded and you were waiting with open arms for this wretched person who remained in his sin and condemned to an eternal life separated from you. Thank you for that gift. And I pray, Lord, that that gift would be received this morning by all here in this place. I pray, Lord, that we would come to celebrate you today and even tomorrow by having received that indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and rejoicing with you. One day, knowing that we will be in all of your glory for all eternity. And so, Father, thank you for your gift of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.